Welcome to the KeysCast, the official podcast of Keesler Air Force Base. Each month or so, we'll bring you interesting interviews with people around Keesler about topics that are relevant to you. Hey everyone, this is Captain David J. Murphy, Chief of the 81st Training Wing Public Affairs Office. Throughout the month of September, we've been recognizing suicide awareness. Keesler Air Force Base has hosted or participated in a number of events, both on and off base, within the community to raise awareness of suicide and the impact it has on those who remain behind. As part of Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month, the 81st Training Wing Medical Group hosted Profiles and Courage, which allowed the base to hear from two retired military members speaking about their experiences overcoming stress, hardship, and personal struggle. Today, we'll be hearing from those two individuals, retired Navy Corpsman Tammy Washburn and retired Army engineer Kenny Craig. Hi, Tammy. How are you doing today? I'm fine, Captain. How are you? Great. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for taking time out to talk about you, yourself, and your story and how you came, overcame adversity and trauma in your life. Uh, So can we first talk to the audience, give them a little bit of background about you and yourself and and your military career? Sure. Um, I didn't join the Navy until my 30th birthday is when I swore in. And because at that time, this was before 9-11, I did this in 1995. And that was obviously before 9-11. And um, the cutoff date for going on active duty was 28 years old. Um, So at 30 years old, I came into the Navy under something called the SAM program which lets you come in, do regular boot camp, regular A school, uh, which is where I got my uh, corpsman training, and then start being a drilling reservist. And I was told that I could be a drilling reservist for a few years and then put in the application to do a full-time package, and that's what I did. Uh, Upon doing that, I joined no, I was fortunate enough to be invited to join a group called Naval Coastal Warfare. I belonged to a unit called MIUW-114. It was in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, they are a surveillance unit, um, and they do that both um, on land and uh, in the sea also. They have 32-foot fast boats that patrol harbors that go out as far as international waters, which is 12 miles, and then after that, the big boats take over. Um, and we did surveillance through things like sonar buoys and, um, um, I call it secret squirrel stuff (laughs) for, for surveillance, mainly because I don't know a lot about it. My job was simply to keep them healthy. Um, we went to the field a lot. I grew up as a tomboy on a farm in Southern Missouri that worked for me. Um, and, and it was a great life. I enjoyed it. And what were your years of service? From 1995 until 2015. I retired October 1st, 2015. Where were you stationed at during your career? Uh, First station was um, in uh, Kansas City. That's my reserve time. And then my first active duty station was um, in Miami. Same kind of unit. Uh, It was a Harbor Defense Command, which was actually kind of the headquarters of MIUW units and IBU units, which are inshore boat units, um, the people that drive those little 32-foot fast boats. Um, And it was from there that I went on my first deployment. Our unit was going to decommission, and 
a unit in New Jersey was ramping up for deployment. They didn't have enough of their own people, so I became a rip to fill for their unit. Hmm. And that first deployment took us first to Balad. Um, we weren't there terribly long. We were not operating at full capacity because there is no water in Balad. Right. And that's, that's a portion of what we do. Uh, so they moved us down to Kuwait, and our job, at, we, we lived on the Kuwait Navy base, and there was a harbor about 20 minutes away that was our surveillance territory. Wow. What, what inspired you to join the military in the first place? Total patriotism. My recruiter didn't have to work at all. <laughs> That's always nice for the recruiter side. Yes, yes. Well, great. Well, you know, you, you obviously had a great career in the military, you retired out of the military, but uh, we're here to talk today about your story and, you know, kind of the bravery and strength and what you demonstrated in overcoming adversity and trauma in your life. So can you talk to me a little bit about that trauma? What happened during your career, um, you know, that caused you this, this adversity and trauma and how did you overcome it? Well, my things are, there. there isn't really one big incident. There are several smaller incidences that caused me to um, eventually be diagnosed with PTSD, um, along with a few other things. Um, major depression, I had some anger issues, and all of it kind of together caught up with me eventually. Um, when I was in Balad, we did get fired at. There were some, there there was some noise and bombing and that sort of thing going on. We were f fortunate in the fact that I never left outside the wire. There was during the time that we were there, there was nothing that came into camp, but we could hear it. Uh, there were some things brought into camp because uh, we there was a a tiny tiny hospital or a large battalion aid station, whichever you'd like to call it. So guys were brought in from there and we treated them and. Um, there were some pretty heavy wounds there. Um, then when I moved down to Kuwait, um, Arif John is a base that was about a 20 minute drive away and uh, we had an American hospital there. Um, a lot of people would be medevaced in there. They'd also be medevaced out from there going to Germany. Um, so if they're going to Germany, you know their treatment needs are pretty extensive. And uh, I didn't work at that hospital all the time. I was actually assigned to my unit, but we were allowed to rotate over um, and, and have um, some experience and time in the hospital. And that's what we did. Most of the time we did sick call on our own guys at the Kuwait Navy base, or we stood sick call on the pier at Ashweba where we were doing um, surveillance. We were there in case our guys needed it, and we rotated in teams of four. Um, all of those things, you know, there, there was, there wasn't a life lost while I was there. I did fly the, with the plane to Germany once to take people over and, um, there were some pretty traumatic people there. Um, and then the flight back, of course, was, was empty. Um. When I went on that first deployment, I had asked my senior chief to find me another unit like the unit that was decommissioning in Miami, and he did so in Jacksonville, Florida. But what I found out not long after he put me there, um, 
he sent me an email, big letters, call me now. <laughs> so I did. And it, he told me that, you know, good news and bad news. You're in the unit. In fact, you're the lead petty officer for the medical department. Um, but six months after you get home, you'll go back again. And uh, he gave me the option of moving to another unit, but those, most of my unit had moved to Jacksonville, and I wanted to stay with them. And um, so we did. We went back, only that time we went back straight to Kuwait. I still did some of the same stuff I did before. Went to Arif John, worked in the hospital. Um, took a flight back to Germany again. Um, had a few things, minor accidents happened there on the Kuwait Navy base, but nothing, nothing huge. Um, then we came home. Um, and there were a lot of adjustment problems. When I was home, I was only home for six months. I have three boys. I visited my boys um, in between that time. They were staying with my parents in southern Missouri, and I didn't move them. I kept going back and forth to them. Um, taking leave because I knew that in six months I'd be gone again. Um, I realized that I'd lost, the, uh, there was a little bit of disconnect with my youngest son. I had some trouble with that because he and I were very close. Um, but when time came for me to leave again, I left. And um, I was concerned about how he would be when I got back. And the second time I came back, what I found out, not just from my youngest son, but from my whole family, is they didn't know how to talk to me. They hadn't been where I'd been. They hadn't seen the things I'd seen. Um, they treated me like I'd been around the corner for a loaf of bread. And I finally said something to my mother, and she said, well, you know, while you were, your life was going on, so was ours. We were going to school. We were going to work. And, and um, unfortunately, you missed out on a lot of it, but this is our everyday life, so we don't have time to sit down and talk to you. That was a hard thing to have my mother sit down tell me, I don't have time to sit down and talk to you. Um, I had been married. That cost me a marriage. Um, but I picked up and went, you know, I, I didn't go on another deployment, but my Navy life is still there, and so I'm still going with it. Mm -hmm. um, I got transferred here to Gulfport. I was here about eight months working for... Um, Navy has something called NMPS, which is Navy Mobilization Processing Site, and we mobilize and demobilize reservists that are coming through, sometimes active duty, but mostly reservists. Um, I was here about eight months when um, I had someone call me that wanted to, she was from here, her mom was ill, she wanted to come home, and we swapped places. She was in Port Wanimi, California. Um, while I was there, we were out with some friends, not only our friends in our unit, um, some of my unit friends were there, but also some friends that we had made on the base. And I mean, we had admin and medical that we interacted with all the time. And um, one of the people from one of those admin units um, asked, well, Someone in my unit was having a, a barbecue at their house, and the, per, the admin person asked me if I wanted to go with him, um, you know, ride, we live close to the same place, almost in the same direction. Um, we had a good time, and we started back home. We started back home. I didn't remember anything else. I don't drink. I don't drink at all. 
I had a Coke. Um, I woke up in a hotel room by myself with no clothes. And so that person had, that, that probably was the most traumatic event. Um, person's in jail now. Um, but it's, uh, it, was, it was something that I didn't address at the time. It was something that I didn't want to talk about. I just wanted to go back to work and act like nothing happened. And that's what I did. And uh, time went on from there. I did meet someone else, got married to him. I got transferred to Norfolk. We were there for three and a half years, and I got transferred to Norfolk, and it was the middle of the school year. So my husband stayed with my children in California and worked when I moved to Virginia. Um, a month before I was supposed to go back and move, you know, school would be out, and I would we would move back everything out um, to Virginia. Uh, he was um, involved in a nasty car accident. When I got a call from the trauma team to tell me it had happened, they were giving him a less than 10% chance of survival. Um, I really thought I was going to California to, to start making funeral arrangements for my husband. I didn't though, and he's still alive. Uh, he got beat up pretty bad. We went through a lot. He was in ICU for 47 days. He was in an inpatient hospital for a year and a half for rehab. Um, he finally got well enough I could move him from California to Virginia. While he was in Virginia, I was doing two things, and that was going to work, and then after work I would go over and be in the rehab hospital with him until visiting hours were over and I could go home. After a while, that all catches up with you. Nobody told me that. <laughs> so, um, like I said, it's, it's, it's not one big thing, unless you want to call the MST um, a big thing, um, which it is. I'm not downplaying it at all. But it was all these little things that I didn't address. I, I chose to keep working. You know, I was, I was that football mom. I was the soccer mom. I was the taekwondo mom and the sailor that went to work every day. And and uh, the wife that went to rehab every night. And so after a while, it all catches up. Um, my last duty station was back here in Gulfport. And um, I was here probably a year and a half when they decided to move my job and they wanted to move it back to Norfolk. And they told me that I could keep the job, but I would need to move back to Norfolk. And um, I only had a year to retirement, and I knew I was going to retire at 20 years. And so I got out and finished that last year as a reservist. Uh, there were a lot of things that changed about being a reservist from the time I started in 1995 to 2014. And I think I didn't adjust to it well. Part of it could have been the stress of all the things that were coming up behind me. Um, when I finally went to get help for that, I first came here to Keesler, and I sat in a psychologist's office and cried for an hour and a half. I didn't talk to anybody. I just cried the whole time. They referred me to the VA because I'm now off of active duty so I can use VA services. Um, I went through three counselors before I found one that I liked. And again, when I finally found one I liked, I still cried more than I talked. Mm -hmm. And finally, 
one day he he told me his story and his story was similar to mine in the fact that we're both health care providers and in our mind we think that we're taking care of people we don't take care of ourselves mm. and that's what I found I had done all this time and he told me his story and talked to me about when he finally decided it was okay to go see a provider and be put on medication for it that was a huge barrier for me because I was a health care provider I didn't feel like I needed health care myself and I you know to, to be prescribed medication for a mental illness really was upsetting to me but after hearing his story it was almost like he gave me permission to go get treatment mm -hmm. and I did he referred me to a psychiatrist who was actually a civilian out in town and um, someone who used to work on this base and someone that once worked with my counselor my counselor's retired Air Force also um, took a lot of therapy even even after starting the medication I still continued my therapy and my counseling and had my counselor not given me permission by telling me his own story. He didn't realize that's what he was doing, but that's what he was giving me permission to get treatment. Um, I don't know where I'd have been. I always said I was strong enough not to commit suicide based on my faith alone. Mm -hmm. um, but I've, I've, I've seen some pretty dark times. Yeah. And I, I don't know what that could have ended up had I not agreed to go see the counselor. The reason for going to see the counselor in the first place was because after I got off of active duty, I hadn't went to work yet. I was still being a reservist. Um, but my days were being spent going from my bed to the couch and back to the, my bed again. And that yeah. was it. And my youngest son, who was 19 at the time, finally, I remember him sitting down on the floor. I was laying on the couch and he was sitting on the floor and his face was even with my face. And he said, Mom, you can't keep doing this. You've got to go do something. And he called the captain that I used to work for when I was still on active duty at my last duty station. She is retired now mm -hmm. and lives in Ocean Springs. She's a retired Navy captain and lives in Ocean Springs. And he called her and told her, I don't know what to do with her. Mm -hmm. And um, she came to the house and it was the two of them that made me decide that, all right, I need to go talk to somebody. And that was her answer to me, was just go talk to somebody and see what happens from there. Nobody's making you do anything. Yeah. It took me four different people to find somebody that that settled in. So probably if I had a message to anybody, it's don't give up. There'll be that person there to connect with you right. eventually. Yeah. You know. Um, but don't think that, you know, if you talk to one counselor, don't think they're all the same way. Right. You know. Find who's best for you. That's right. And, you know, obviously your your children identifying that, obviously they could see everything from the outside, you know, that maybe, you know, you, you didn't see or you, obviously you could only see what, you know, you, was going on. But obviously they give that outside sort of perspective and give you that push to go out and actually seek the help that, you know, uh, you were you were obviously needing at the time. Uh, are you still seeing counselors and therapists? Do you still get that? I do. I still see counselors. I'm still on treatment. That was in 2014, so here we are four years later. But um, I have a brighter outlook now. Um, 
My work with the nonprofit Crusaders for Veterans, um, a lot of people that I see at the VA, that sort of stuff, um, I talk to a lot of people, a lot of veterans. A lot of veterans open up and they, they will come back to me later and say, you know, you really helped me. Well, what they don't know is they helped me too. Talking to them is therapy for me as much as it is them. Sure. And I really, really enjoy that work. Absolutely. Yeah, I can, you know, talking about the accumulation of things, you know, sometimes we don't even think about it. You know, we're going through all this stuff. We're, you know, always told to be resilient, overcome adversity. And then at the end of the day, you know, it catches up to you sometimes. So, mm-hmm. um, so glad that you were able to seek and, and also get the help that you needed. Um, hopefully what you're saying now and someone listening may seek that help, you know, if they need it or, you know, uh, whatnot. But, um, well, I know there are a lot of veterans out there that don't have that. Um, I'm amazed at how many veterans I talk to that tell me that they don't have family. They either don't have family they talk to anymore, they're, they're not close, or um, something happened in their life that family either, you know, whether it was drugs or alcoholism or, or PTSD symptoms just made them behave so erratically the family washed their hands of them. Um, that's kind of that, that's really hard for me to understand because I grew up in a very close family. I was fortunate that way and and later in life is when I realized just exactly how blessed I am because I have so many veterans that come to me and tell me they don't have that support. Um, that's part of the reason for groups like Crusaders for Veterans or um, the All-American Way or some of the other ones that are out there. That's the reason for vet centers, um, the reason for the support groups, the reason for the support groups at the VA. Um, a lot of people aren't comfortable going to the VA. It's mm-hmm. part of me that can understand that. Sure. Um, so if they're not comfortable going to the VA, I really hope that they can, they can get a support group someplace else. Or if somebody wants, I'll talk to them. Anytime somebody wants to talk, I'll be happy to talk with them. Um, you think a conversation doesn't make a difference, but it can. Right. Yeah. And would also you recommend you know organizations like the American Legion or the VFWs? They also provide resources and can at least steer people towards those type of resources. They can. They can. They have the ability to. Um, do so. The VFW that's in Biloxi, um, part of the problems with the VFWs and the American Legions that I hear from veterans all the time is they're Vietnam era veterans. They're not veterans that are where I've been and in my groups and understand what I'm going through. And so they don't go to them a lot. Um, I have a personal experience with VFW having a problem with me being a female, uh, it's a few years ago, so I'm I'm hoping that they've gotten over that now. Um, but it's my understanding that there is a VFW that's in Biloxi on Bass Road that uh, is now being ran by younger people. And Sorry, that, I can hear, <laughs> hear somebody opening the door. Okay. And that might be beneficial, you know, to to have these organizations have you know younger people in their midst that have done and gone through and been to the same places that 
the current veterans of today have been. What would you talk tell our active duty members? You know, obviously, you know, you experienced a lot of this trauma during your active duty time, um, you know, but you, you sought help or, you mm-hmm. know, after you were pretty much out of active duty. But for the, the members who are going through this now, maybe they're experiencing now and they're not, you know, they're, they're per- perhaps suppressing it or, you know, pushing past it, you know, using work as a catalyst and, you know, to kind of push forward. What would you tell to the active duty members who may be going through this, you know, what would you tell yourself if you were going through this, your younger self? Um, what, what, what should you have done during your active duty time that may have perhaps helped you cope you know, during your time, as opposed to it being built up and having, you know, obviously being addressed, you know, after you were out of service. There used to be a saying that was actually intended for probably teenagers being smart aleck to their parents and their parents trying to get them to back off a little. And it was check yourself before you wreck yourself. Um, This is a new version of that, you know. Um, take a look at your surroundings and what's going on around you. Think about your home life versus work life and how much it can all add up together. Nobody realizes that stress. I mean, for me, my stresses weren't just mental. They turn out to be physical, too. I have a high blood pressure problem now that I didn't have before, Uh you know. Um, I think that's getting better and under control now. But at, at one point, that was, you know, I let the stress in me get so bad that I ended up on blood pressure medication and I didn't see me doing that. Um, You know, take a look at those things and remind yourself and also realize that back when I, when I deployed, it was 2004. My last deployment ended in October of 2006. Um, There was a huge stigma on mental health and being in the military and being able to keep your career. Um, I had guys that I knew that were in my unit that were having problems and needed to have them addressed. And when I would talk to them about them, they didn't want to have them addressed because that would end up in their medical record and they'd be afraid they couldn't finish their career. And for somebody that's got, you know, 10, 12, 16 years in, you don't want to mess that up. And I fully get it, you know. and in the Navy, if you're not deployable, they, they're not going to keep you. They're going to downsize and, and not keep you. And so that was a big concern. The Vet Center, which is a VA program, has counselors that when they talk to you, and they will talk to your family too, by the way, and it's all for free. Um, their medical system doesn't talk to the VA's medical system, so it never goes in that medical record. So I would send a lot of my guys to the vet center because I knew they would get help. I knew why they were avoiding help, but at least this way they were getting help. And the counselor would tell them from the beginning, you know, yes, we can go through these things, but there are certain caveats that I have to being able to reporting this someplace else. Suicidal attempts are one of them. Yeah. Um, you know, but the the hope is that they can get them counseling and treatment before they ever get that far. Um, now that it's 2018 and we've moved forward a lot and we realize what the mental health issues are with our service men and women and the veterans that come out, um, mental health issues have a less stigma than they used to. 
and from what I understand, all of the military services are um, promoting more mental health treatments and um, not so much making it a career breaker anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of resources out there for airmen, sailors, Marines, soldiers, Coast Guardsmen, all the, all the services in the DOD have a lot more mental health opportunities and uh, outlets and channels, I think, today uh, mm-hmm. than perhaps, again, like you mentioned back uh, during that time. So glad to see that that's you know, something that's been uh, definitely pushed forward as uh, an opportunity. So, But again, I want to thank you so much, Tammy, for taking time out to talk to us today. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we let you go? Other than go Navy. All right. <laughs> go Air Force. Okay. Okay, we're here with retired Sergeant First Class Kenny Craig. Kenny Craig was in the U.S. Army, and he was a combat engineer. Uh, Kenny, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and and why you joined the military? Uh, Yes, I'm a – I joined the Army, uh, the Army National Guard in 1992. Uh, I did what they call a split option between your junior and senior year. But the uh, the kind of backstory with that is my uh, the military is, is is rich in my family. Uh, my grandfather was on Omaha Beach in Normandy during World War II and uh, moved forward and fought in the Battle of the Bulge. So I was kind of obsessed with the Army, and uh, so it was about May of 1992. I was in high school, a junior. My buddy uh, came up to me, and there were some recruiters in the library. He said, uh, man, we can go to basic training this, this summer between our junior and senior year. So uh, I was like, wow, where I signed up? You know, so we went down and talked to the recruiters. And uh, I think at that time I had not taken the ASVAB. So they, they lined the ASVAB up for me and uh, he and I. So we went together. We was going to go as a, like a buddy platoon, they call it, in the Army. Uh, we was going to go together and uh go to basic and and all that so went to maps and uh did all the that stuff the uh physical uh aspect of the the uh entering he he had flat feet so he could not get joined so i went i went alone so ended up going to basic training uh that summer came back the uh the sunday night i flew in where i started my senior year the next that next monday or that next uh day and uh, so graduated, went to AIT, and uh, uh, and finished up the, the AIT portion, uh, and then uh, served until uh, in the reserves through nine nine eleven uh, happened, and then after that I went active duty, uh, and uh, my first deployment was to Iraq in two thousand three, in the initial invasion, and uh, where. We went forward and uh, and uh, and actually today, uh, August eighteenth, I was injured in two thousand three in uh, in Iraq and from a, uh, an IED explosion. So. Uh, and then went forward, uh, uh, I guess thirteen years to uh, twenty fourteen or almost twenty fifteen. At the end of twenty fourteen, I retired medically retired after tours to Iraq and Afghanistan. How many times did you deploy? Uh, we did twice, one each, uh, to Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, 
Iraq in uh, 2003 and four, and then uh, Afghanistan at uh, 2012 and 2013. Okay. Yes. So you so you experienced some injuries uh, on both tours. I did. I uh, the second uh, the second tour we just had some uh, had just some exposures to explosions. Uh, typical of a you know engineers that uh, we had a a lot of uh, several rockets coming in our base at, at Fob Shank. And, and RC East in Afghanistan. And uh, so, you know, I guess those with the other, that, uh, that, that, uh, those incidents compounded my injuries. So I went to, uh, I was actually in Eisenhower Army Hospital for a year thereafter. Wow. Yeah. So uh, from uh, August of 2013 to November of 2014, I retired. They medically retired me. So after that, with a diagnosis with a severe TBI and and uh, PTSD. Wow. So, so the the deployments really they did the number on you. They did. Uh, it was uh, you know, and I dealt with it the whole time uh, from 2004 when I got home. You know, it was uh, I just thought I was that angry NCO that was just. Uh, uh, you know, had all these stressors and, and, uh, I mean, I still did my job really well, but I, uh, had a lot of issues and dealt with them in, in different ways, you know, so. Angry, short tempered. I was anxiety, uh, you know, the hyper, uh, just hyper vigilant. That's one thing that, uh, you know, when, once you deploy and you stay at that, uh, high, at that high rate of, uh, of, uh, you know, the defenses are up and you stay there for so long it's hard to come down you know so that's one of the biggest issues with me was just the anxiety and the hypervigilance of uh you know trust issues with uh, certain things certain certain situations uh so that was uh one thing you know fast forward to eisenhower that's one thing that they we kind of concentrated on was how to uh you know deal with these stressors and how to relax for the most part so and uh so, so you you were diagnosed with uh, the PTSD and the TBIs. Was that why you were medically retired? I was. Okay. I was. Yeah, it was just too much. Uh, what they said was that if I, uh, I, I couldn't take the chance and get in another exposure, I would. Uh, I think uh, Dr. Riggs, uh, he was a TBI director at Eisenhower, said that I would be. Uh, in his words, I would be uh, wearing a helmet and licking windows. Wow. So <laughs> that would seem pretty bad in my when I viewed it that way. So, uh, so, so, so after your first deployment, you know, you came back and you had the anger issues and whatnot, but you kept that to yourself and you didn't seek help, uh, obviously because of, you know, you're worried about the stigma of what could happen to you if you did seek help. Um, how did you get over that? How did you finally seek help? Well, I, uh, one thing that you do, you have that warrior's mentality, leading troops, and you don't want any dings in that armor. Do you have to, uh, as, as we say, you have to leave from the front. Uh, and if you showed any weakness, that was, uh, you know, you wasn't a, a, a true soldier, you know, so that was a, uh, something everybody deals with, you know, deals with that. And, you know, you, uh, you try to, I guess your body, you know, you try to cover those, those deficiencies up your best way you can and, and you have to, uh, deal with it in different ways. Now, uh. You know, a lot of a lot of my uh, friends, you know, they dealt with it in other ways: drugs, alcohol, 
stuff like that. And I did, uh, you know, I did self-medicate alcohol for a short time, but it wasn't really, uh, really, that wasn't me as far as the alcohol. Uh, so, I mean, I didn't, I did my share, don't get me wrong, but the, uh, mainly my, my thing was, uh, adrenaline, Yeah. you know, uh, speeding, you know, taking those chances of, uh, you know, different, uh, different risks, you know, that, that comes along with that, that we always talk about. It's kind of a, a self-destruction right. type mode. So I, I was aware I was doing this stuff and it, you know, I look back at, it, I was like, man, who was that guy? You know, that guy is, uh, it wasn't me, you right. know, it was just, uh, you know, but they, uh, so, but you was either training or I was training guys the whole time right. to deploy. So, uh, you had to kind of keep that, uh, that warrior mentality and hold it ever all together. So Did, was there a point where it became too much and you just sort of cracked under the pressure and it just I, sort of exposed itself for what it was? You know, uh, my wife, uh, she actually needs, uh, she needs medals for putting up with me. She really does. If anybody, I mean, that. you know, pre, yeah, they, uh, the spouses that deal with this, I mean, some people, uh, I mean, I can sit here and tell you all these issues, but I mean, she lived it yeah. and, and she, uh, you know, she didn't understand it either. No, I didn't understand. I didn't know what it was. Uh, she just knew I came back changed. Right. And, uh, and we, uh, I wasn't the same guy she fell in love with, but she, you know, uh, actually last June was 22 years we've been married. Wow. And, uh, so, you know, it takes, she could easily gave up on me, you know, and, but, uh, but they, uh, but pretty much what I did, I, I, w- I would speed and take, you know, take risks, unnecessary risk, you know, uh, where it was kind of selfish as far as, uh, what I was doing, mm-hmm. you know, not really uh, thinking about the consequences yeah. necessarily. Absolutely. You know, so, uh, so <clears throat> would you say, you know, obviously, you know, you had the mentality of, you know, not seeking help because obviously the the warrior mentality and whatnot. But, you know, I think we both agree that today it's it's a bit more understood and accepted. You know that you know this these kind of issues should be addressed. People should come forward with them, and that. You know, would you agree that there there's more accepting and, and working through the issues that people have today? Absolutely. Uh, toward the end of my career in 2014, you know, they uh, it, it went from uh, really bad to actually pretty really good. You know, mm-hmm. they had they had set up the uh, WTUs, which is Warrior Transition Units, which yeah. is uh, hospitals where they uh, or units where they they treat wounded warriors. Mm-hmm. And um, so they, and those and they have some outstanding programs to help you deal with it. And uh, I was fortunately a part of the of those. That's great. One of those. So they. Uh, now, kind of thinking back, uh, you know, it was always the doctors. Even in twenty fourteen, they had to tell me what depression was. Like, are you depressed? I was like, yeah. no, not me. I don't know what I didn't. I didn't know what I didn't know what depression was, or I didn't right. know. Uh, what PTSD was for the most part. Sure. You know, that was some stigma I wanted to stay away from. And, but, uh, kind of looking back on all the issues, uh, I mean, day one from, uh, my return, I had issues, you know, I could, I was, uh, you know, I couldn't go into a public place and carry on the conversation like we are now. Yeah. Uh, I would kind of blank out and 
go into that hypervigilant mode where mm-hmm. I was uh, sizing everybody up. You know, one yeah. of the things uh, we had dealt with was uh, suicide bombers, mm-hmm. you know, with backpacks. So one of the things that was one of my triggers is backpacks. Yeah. You know, so you see guys in backpacks with uh, maybe large, large coats on and you kind of, you can't really see what they, they're packing yeah. or. Right. So, you know, uh, so, and it's wearing, it's very tiring, sure. you know, as far as uh, mentally. And, and then it eventually affects you uh, physically because it wears you down, Yeah, you know, uh, going through all this because you're having to, you know, your brain's not focused on one thing. It's everywhere. Yeah. You know, you're looking at these doors. You're looking oh, over yeah. here behind this one and this person. This guy has a, a trench coat on or, right. and it's 80 degrees. Exactly. You know? So Anxiety. Yeah, anxieties. Lots of. Yeah, that was one of the biggest things. So uh, I think the first time I actually scared my wife uh, and my, well, my whole family was, was actually in, was actually in Biloxi on the beach on 4th of July. Yeah. And I mean, and even today, I, I'm not scared of fireworks, but just, right. it's not uh, one of those things. I don't have a sign up saying, you know, the veteran, the combat vet lives here, you know, please be friendly with your fireworks or right. whatever. So. I'm really not that guy, but if you surprise me with a loud noise, you know, that part of that reptilian side of my brain is going to react. Absolutely. You know, because it's, it's, that's what kind of protected me while I was overseas. So we were on the beach, and it was early. It wasn't really time for fireworks. It was like at, like, 2, 1400. And uh, something went off really loud. I don't know what it was. It wasn't a firecracker. It was something loud, like a mortar or something. Yeah. And it actually spooked me so bad, I dove and yeah. got down. Because, wow. you know, we, that's a, and, and you have to realize we're just three months out of a deployment where, right. you know, we got hit with rockets. I was hit with ID and sure. then uh, mortars, you know, all that good stuff. And so it was just my natural thing. And uh, we hit the ground, hit the yeah, sand, wow. hit the sand. And, and, you know, covered, went into the posture of, uh, you know, you get that intimate with the ground. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I look up and my whole family's laughing at me. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's really, it's laughable now. Indeed. So with that reaction, you know, you become angry. You know, I was angry automatically. Yeah. My hope for three July was ruined after that, you know, because mm-hmm. I was, it was a reaction of, uh, of just anger, you yeah. know. And so it was, <laughs> but, you know, and uh, kind of fast forward again with uh, when I was at the, the WTU, they actually brought my wife in. That's one thing they, they do really well. And I wish every diagnosis of PTSD in the military, they need to go through this program. Yeah. So they actually brought my wife in and explained to her what was going on, you know, explained the what happens to the brain. And, and you know, she actually apologized after that, you know, yeah. all the – because she looked at, like, you know, she just thought it was anger. She didn't, she didn't understand it. She wasn't educated on PTSD or right. TBI. And so she actually apologized to me. So uh, – you know, which I didn't think there was no apology because it wasn't that bad. I mean, no. it just, but that was the incident. I was like, well, you know, I'm not the same person I was in uh, early, early uh, 2003 or 2002 when I deployed. Uh, so, you know, then there was some other things, you know, where, uh, you know, we would be talking and like you'd be looking at something and you just zone out. You know, just stuff like that. Just dealing with your speech, your uh, pulling down your vocabulary words. Right. You know, the stuff that, that were the, those type words you have to pull down. You, I just couldn't think of them. Yeah. You know, absolutely. So, stuff like that. So, 
definitely. Uh, Tell me, how are you coping with you know your PTSD and whatnot today? What are you What are you sort of doing? Are you Are you seeking help currently? Are you Are you over it? Or I mean, is it something you even get over? Kind of educate me on that side. Well, I think uh, for what they t- they tell me, I'm a I will be retired uh, in November. It would actually be going on three years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the, I, I think the longer you're removed from the devil's issues, the 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 combat, the mortars, I, you do kind of calm down a little bit, I believe. Uh, but I don't ever think you'll be cured of it. To be honest with you, that's my own personal opinion. I'm not a doctor, but uh, I do. But mainly, my therapy, sir, is the. Uh, is helping other veterans really just being uh, being involved, uh, helping vets with PTSD and and, uh, and TBIs. You know, by and when I say help them, I mean we do, we have a uh, a few. Uh, we have three groups throughout Mississippi PTSD groups. We we meet uh, with that, and it's a true uh, support group. It's just not something we do on Mondays, and then throughout the week we don't talk. It's kind of like if they need something, you know, we have somebody there to help them or whatever they may need. And then we do, uh, other equine therapy type stuff. And, and, uh, you know, we're still getting that up and going as well. So, uh, but one of the biggest things with me, and I actually found this on accident whenever, whenever I retired, I, uh, I have German shepherds. Mm -hmm. So, that that's actually they actually help me you know right. I, I, tra- yeah, I always see them. these therapy dogs everywhere yeah you know? they're, they're not a they're not therapy dogs but uh you probably could get just, them become they, therapy dogs if you want really, to right they really are unofficially i mean they uh they you know dogs are uh, i mean they they're not the man's best friend for nothing i guess but right. they they really help you relax to me sure you know and, and that's the same way with horses uh one thing as far as equine therapy a horse is actually mirrors the person working with, I don't know if you know that or not, but they, uh, if you're working with a stubborn horse, mm-hmm. if the person's calm, that's working with a horse, the horse actually becomes calm. Yeah. But on the other side, if the person's anxiety ridden and, uh, you know, irritated, the horse will become irritated as well. It actually mirrors the person. So, oh, wow. so it actually is a good fit. You know, it actually, a lot of studies that it actually, uh, it's really good. So, but, and also what we do. So, <clears throat> The uh, we hold events, just getting vets back together. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things with uh, PTSD is isolation. You know, isolating. They stay in their bedroom, play these video games. Yep. And I have a couple guys that we're working with. They haven't left their house in thirty days. Wow. Or pretty much their room. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's so that is a uh, you know. So we want to prevent the isolation of 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 that, uh, and then. Uh, you know, try to get them around other vets, of course. That's always helps. And, and one thing with uh, our organization, we we try to get the uh, the Vietnam vets, the World War II vets, with some of these younger generations. Right. And get them together, and they, you know, they kind of feed off each other. And it's, it's, it's very successful. But for me personally, uh, besides uh, doing the uh, helping other people as a therapy, you know, we still, uh, I still have to kind of, kind of come back to reality and 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 tell myself you know we're not i'm not in afghanistan i'm not in iraq or you know there's the, the there's still threats here but there's right. not threats of you know it's a it's a, it's a smaller percentage of uh you know a terrorist attack or even a shooting or right 
stuff like that. So really, you have to kind of self-talk. Absolutely. You have to kind of talk to yourself and 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 uh, talk down that anxiety. So, well, thank you so much for telling us about yes. your story today. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I uh, I don't think so. I think that's pretty pretty thorough.